This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Blog Talk Radio. Uh, Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Welcome to another wonderful edition of the often imitated but never duplicated Finsider Radio. I am your host for tonight. Uh, my name is Chris. Most of you know me as the Earl or Duke. Uh, I am joined tonight by the producer and future overlord of player operations when I buy the Dolphins, James. James, how are you? I'm good. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. And tonight we have our guest host. Uh, you know him as the Floridian debater. Uh, tonight he is Luis. So, Luis, how are you? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Very good, very good. Well, we've got a lot of stuff to cover tonight. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've had uh, the last podcast. And on the last podcast, free agency had just started, so we've got a lot of stuff to cover with that, a few other things to cover, and just anything else you want to talk about. Um if you want to call into the show, the phone number is there on the on the site. You can join the live thread. The phone number is three four seven three two six nine four six one. If you want to shoot a Twitter question at me, my Twitter handle Twitter handle is the Earl So shoot me a question there. I will try to look at that and get any questions answered if you have any. So uh, without further ado, let's get started with this. So um, it's like I said, it's been two weeks basically since free agency started. On the last podcast, we it was a couple of days in, and we really haven't covered a whole lot. But we're in that time period now where free agency is kind of slowing down. There's signings here and there, but, you know, the kind of initial rush is over. So the Dolphins didn't go out and, and, and make it rain like they did last year. They didn't go out and spend the quite the same amount of money that they they did in uh, 2013. But they did go out and make, take, make a few uh, signings, uh, added some uh, crucial pieces, uh, specifically, the the big ticket item this year was adding Brandon Albert uh, to play left tackle, uh, a huge area of need given the uh, that position last year. Uh, we added uh, Earl Mitchell, formerly the nose tackle of the Houston Texans, who uh, is a little bit small for a nose tackle. He's not necessarily going to replace Paul Sola in terms of size, but um, he seems to be a better fit for a 4-3 defense. Uh, Randy Starks was re-signed, which was a, uh, a, a nice addition. Um, they added Shelly Smith, who was an offensive guard who played for the uh, St. Louis Rams. They added Cortland Finnegan, 
uh, formerly of the Titans and the Rams. And then today, uh, later this, uh, sometime this afternoon, they signed Sean Marino to a one-year, three million dollar deal. And that's kind of the that's kind of what they've done. Uh, we already knew about Brent Grimes, of course. So I didn't really mention that. So that's kind of what Miami's done in free agency. And from my standpoint, it looks to me like the the main goal going into free agency was uh, protecting Ryan Tannehill. They're going to put the offense in his hands this year. And the reason I say that is, number one, you have Brandon Albert. Now, there were some that thought it was kind of a curious sign in a sense of we gave him more money than a younger, possibly better player in Eugene Monroe who re-signed with Baltimore Ravens. But from all accounts, this was a a kind of a mutual agreement. Uh, if you listen to Brandon Albert's press conference on MiamiDolphins.com, he said that um, he wanted to play in Miami. He did not have think of any other team that he wanted to play for. The Dolphins said that was their number one target. Of course, they added Shelly Smith, and now they've added Nashawn Marino, who is not exactly a he's not exactly going to blow you away in terms of being a of his running ability. But one of the things that's key with him is. Uh, number one, he, he's very good in pass protection. And number two, he's very good at receiving out of the backfield. So of all of those, um, Luis, which, which signing stood out to you as the best? Which signing stood out to you as the worst? Um, what, what guy that you wanted to sign that got signed by someone else? Well, the first thing I'd have to say is probably the Brandon Albert signing was the best one, and mainly because it filled the biggest hole. I there's some at some point you can't really just ignore the hole. If you see that Tannehill lands on his back 58 times, then that's a problem, obviously. So having getting Albert was the main priority. They got it done. And as for Eugene Monroe possibly being the better option, I'm really not sure about that because I'm beginning. I wonder if. A, it might have cost more because it was clear that Monroe wanted to stay in Baltimore. So he was looking to take a discount there. If he wanted to come to Miami, he might have been more expensive than Albert. Plus, he seems to – Albert seems to – from what I've heard, he fits the zone blocking scheme better. And plus, Philbin really wanted him. So, obviously, if he really wanted him, it was for a reason. I think the the, the biggest question with him – between the two, I think, from what I read on Twitter and other comments between the, between the fans, is that Albert may be a better fit, but he's had injury history in the past. Uh, he's he's only played a 16 game season once. He uh, he's older. He'll be turning 30, I think, this year. And Eugene Monroe is a lot younger, so to some, it may seem like that this is more of a short term solution when Monroe could have been a long-term solution. But I see what you're saying, and I kind of agree. I believe that's how the coaches felt, that he was a better fit. And they, they said as much that they thought he was the best fit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see that. It, I, I kind of wanted Monroe simply because it was a longer-term option. Um, you know, I, I wanted mean, to lock him yeah, down I mean, for, for more time and not have to worry about the left tackle position because you figure – I mean, those guys can usually play up into their mid-30s. Uh, they are not necessarily as effective when they get that old. You figure Albert's got at least three good years left, and anything after that's a bonus. So, you know, maybe that's all they're looking for. 
Well, that that's what I was gonna say. Is like the for some reason the offensive uh, the offensive lineman position does not necessarily show age quite as much because remember that McKinney, how old is he now? Thirty five, and he's gonna be thirty six. So uh-huh. he and he stabilized for the most part the left side of the line, and I don't think he's built for zone blocking. He was not very athletic, and yet somehow he managed to do the job. So if McKinney at 35 could do that with what we had, then Albert, even at 35, I would have to imagine, would do a better job um, being in a blocking scheme that he's familiar with. He doesn't have the weight problems that McKinney had. So I don't see why this can't be a long-term solution. Why not the five years? He's going to, if he can stay healthy, he should be a better option than McKinney was at 35. So I don't see the problem. And that's that's very possible. I mean, it, it just seemed like to me that you know, you'd go with a younger player uh, who, you know, Pro Football Focus had Monroe graded a little bit higher than Albert. But either way, I think it's it's a good sign. Um, I agree with that. It was you know, it was obviously the biggest signing, but it was it was the most important because that was a position that had to be filled, and they filled it with with a very good player. Uh, and, and you'll see a lot of complaints by some that said, you know, it's uh, you're, you're paying him to be an elite left tackle, and he's not an elite left tackle. Um, and he, that's correct. He's not Joe Thomas or, or that 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 at that level. But what he is is he's very good in pass protection. He's not as good as a run blocker. But you're getting a guy who is, you know, you're not going to worry about him getting beat for multiple sacks and hurries every game like Jonathan Martin was when he started out. Um, you know, McKinney struggled a little bit at times. And so I, I think you're getting a guy there that Tannehill can trust. And, you know, it, it's to me it's not so much. When I go back and look at, you know, we've had some posts on the site recently about how often Tannehill was sacked. And there was some debate about, you know, should he have gotten rid of the ball quicker and things like that. But a large number of sacks, and I remember writing some posts about it uh, during the season, is that a, a lot of the sacks that I saw came in, in under three seconds. And that sounds like a lot of time, you know, to throw the ball, because most quarterbacks get rid of the ball by three seconds. But usually that three-second clock is what they have in their head. And, I, you know, everyone, I think, will remember when Tony Sperano and, and the coach set up that, that three-second buzzer for Chad Heaney during training camp um, because he was holding the ball too long. And they wanted him to get rid of the ball within that three seconds. And so when you're getting sacked and under that time period, your your clock gets messed up. And I think that's what some of the fans are not realizing is that, you know, he he should maybe throw the ball away a couple times. But the rush is getting to him so quick, he's not that, – that internal clock that he has, when he steps back into the pocket, he, you know, he hits that back step on his drop, and then he goes into his read. He's got his internal clock is saying, all right, all right, now it's time to go. But by the time his his clock is saying it's time to go, he's already getting hit. Definitely what you're getting with Albert is you're getting a guy who's going to keep him clean on that side. Now, there's still some, you know, there's still options at right tackle you know, via free agency in the draft, and we'll get to the draft a little bit later. But um, what, what signing was the one that you thought was just uh, the most questionable in your opinion? 
Well, that one should be pretty obvious, too. The only thing that I've been scratching my head on, really, is the Cortland Finnegan signing. This this whole free agency period, I had been an advocate of just keeping Dimitri Patterson, restructuring the contract if we had to, and letting him get the chance to prove that he can stay healthy after a full offseason. I don't understand. I guess, no, no, I take it back. I guess from a, a mentor standpoint, Finnegan would be a better option. But as a player, I don't know if we're going to get lucky like we did with Brent Grimes and he became his elite self again. I don't see that happening with Finnegan, who is already older and he's already gotten slow. Maybe he's only here to mentor Jamar Taylor and Will Davis, like people have been saying. But if that's the case, that is a lot of money for a teacher. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm thinking. I I think his primary position that we're going to see him in is in the slot. Um, I think he is going to – I'm kind of torn right now on what's going to happen with Jimmy Wilson. I think they want him, from what I've read, they're going to they're going to put him at safety, and that was a, a natural position for him. But he actually turned out to be a pretty decent slot corner last year. You know, he started out kind of rough. He did not play well in 2013, excuse me, 2012. And in 2013, he kind of caught on and and became uh, very dependable at that position. Not you know not a guy that's going to shut down the West Welkers of the world, but he did become uh, reliable and that, you know, you could expect him to some, get some passive defense and play well uh, against guys in the slot. So I think Finnegan's going to uh, compete with him for that position mainly. Uh, I think we're going to see see some rotation there. I think you'll see Jimmy Wilson kind of rotating between uh, the safety position uh, and and the slot position. And I also believe that you're that Finnegan's going to try to compete for the outside, but right now it seems to me that the coaches are high on Jamar Taylor and they want him to win the job. And I guess as fans we should be concerned if he doesn't win the job. Um, you know, assuming that you know, Will Davis doesn't take it from him, not like that. But I think at this point they're looking at him to be the starting cornerback uh, to go along with Grimes. And if Finnegan's starting over him, that means one of two things. Jamar Taylor's either really bad or Finnegan's back up to his normal self again. And that's, you know, that's just one of the things we have to look for in training camp. I think the main thing there, is, as you alluded to, is the contract. I think this most people thought that was just way too much money considering that Nolan Carroll got a much smaller contract. Oh, yeah. And most people thought that he was a better player. And I was off for re-signing Nolan Carroll. But I believe, in my opinion, by not re-signing him, that was a show of faith in Jamar Taylor. They're saying, all right, we're going to bring in this veteran guy. You know, we're going to give him basically basically what amounts to a one-year deal, and we're going to expect you to take the job from him. So, you know, and I, I do think that they'll try to pick up a late-round corner this year, uh, probably fourth, fifth round, looking at the draft to, to add to that bunch. But... Uh, but yeah, I think right now we're looking at starting lineup of, of Brent Grimes and Jamar Taylor or Will Davis and uh, and uh, Finnegan in the slot. But that's what I'm that's what I'm think that's what I'm saying. If if all Finnegan was doing was coming in to compete and that was that's what he's really here for, then why not just keep Patterson, who we've seen on the field, we've seen what he can do then why release a 
pretty doggone good number two corner to bring in somebody who's been struggling for the last two years to compete with our young corner. Why are we um, – I guess we could see we're lowering the, the standard that Taylor has to reach to win the job. I think the the only answer that I could that I could think to respond to that would be that they have just they have determined that he he is not worth even if they signed him for less than what Finnegan got I think they would they consider him too much of a health risk to to that he cannot stay on the field and being someone you know that's in in their mid thirties. Um, you know, I, I, you know, anyone that's that's gone gotten over that that hump of the age of thirty realizes that, you know, even even for elite athletes, once you start getting injured and once you start staying in that kind of shape, your body just doesn't heal as fast as it used to when you're 21. And that's the thing that I, you know, I I knew Demetri Patterson was not going to stay on the roster at 5.4 million dollars, even though Finnegan's signing was actually a little bit higher than that, but bad, he's going to stay on the field. Um, whereas, you know, are you, how many games are you actually going to get out of Demetri Patterson? Even if you, you know, if they couldn't really restructure his deal because it was in the final year. They could have offered him an extension and probably probably took some of that money that he was owed and pushed it into later years. Um, which, you know, that that's something that, that you, you'll see people talk about. You can restructure contracts uh, that have extra years on them. You can't restructure anything in the final year because there's nothing there to restructure. You can offer extensions and possibly, you know, spread some of that money out over the course of, of that new contract. But, um, and personally, you know, you, you've seen some people talk about, well, restructuring Mike Wallace's deal. I'm not a fan of restructuring. Uh, and, and James can attest to this living out in, in Cowboys country. Those guys are in serious cap trouble because of the contract safe sign. And in order to create cap room, they restructure. Um, I believe Tony Romo's contract is going to be worth $27 million plus on the cap next year because of yeah, me, how they restructured. Let me pull that up for you. Yeah, also, it's check your board. Ridiculous. So, um, get your board, dude. All right. Got it. Okay. And uh, so yeah, 27 Almost twenty-eight million cap hit, twenty-seven seven seven three cap hit for Romo next season. For Tony yeah. Romo, oh my God! Yeah, and see, and it was because of the deal he signed, but they have pushed back. They didn't have any cap room, so in order to create cap room, they they moved some of it by creating, turning it into signing bonus or whatever else like that. So it lowered his cap hit this year and pushed, you know, pushed the the. Basically, it's kicking the can down the road, and even Jets yeah. fans, even Jets fans, will tell you that you know. Look at how um, Tannenbaum kind of run things when they were in trouble and trying to win those, those a couple years ago. They had all these deals, and they kept resigning or, or restructuring, and then they got in such a cap shape last year they couldn't do anything. So, uh, before we go any further, we do have a caller on the line. Uh, Dolphin fans for life. I think I'm trying to unmute him here. I can't do that. Here, I got it for you. Okay, Dolphin fan for life. What's going on? Uh, nothing much. Um, I initially started with a whole nother thing, but listening to you guys um, kind of brought up another point that I've kind of had twirling around in my head as far as like Jamar 
um, Taylor, um, Brent Grimes, all the corners that we had last year, and the whole Cortland Finnegan signing. Um, A lot of people look on the face value about what a person does on the field, but when you have a team that lacks leadership, that lacks, you know, the core fundamentals of basically, like, gaining this perception of, you know, they're basically like a team following each other without a leader. Now... That's what I see doing with all these signings, such as Cortland Finnegan. Now, first off, on the field, he has bad rep. Off the field, however, I mean, you saw with that E60 thing. I mean, he basically took that girl and practically adopted her. You know, it's kind of like his own personal person. Things like that, you know, you pay a little bit more for things like that too, rather than just what's on the field. What's off the field also matters, especially when you've got things like Jonathan Martin and all this other stuff that you're trying to get away from and trying to tell people, hey, you know, we're not the same team, and we're taking it seriously. The one part about Patterson is on the field, when he was healthy, he was great. Off the field, not so much. Uh, you know, and the other part about it is, is that he couldn't remain healthy. So we were paying this guy five point some odd million dollars to basically give us four interceptions and whatnot. Yeah, and I agree. I think that's basically, in my opinion, the only reason that they went with with Finnegan over trying to redo Demetrius Patterson. Uh, that contract is simply because they feel that um, whatever they pay Finnegan, even if it's more, is going to be worth more to them because he's going to stay on the field more than paying, say, $3 million to to Patterson to play six games. So that, that, that's the only thing I can think of. But I, I want to play devil's advocate to your, to your uh, comment there about bringing Finnegan in as leadership. You know, the argument there would be, are the Dolphins looking over talent, uh, other talents they could be signing in order to just look for guys that are going to be good leaders? Um, and I don't know if that question has been brought up yet, but I'm sure someone will think of it. So, um, well, you know, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you got to look because, like, okay, we have Jamar Taylor who was promising coming out of college, had a few injuries and all this other stuff. Will Davis, I mean, he pretty much burst on the scene in his in his final year of college. But what they did do not have on that team, I mean, they have the Brent Grimes, you know, that is kind of like a lead-by-example guy. But you don't have the guy that will sit there and pull Tannehill like he did with um, uh, Rashard Matthews. Was it Rashard Matthews that he grabbed yeah, and like, get off the field? You know, mm-hmm. what are you doing? You know, we don't have that guy on the defense. Brent Grimes is not going to be that guy. And to be honest with you, he's not going to be that attitude guy. Kind of like, I look at it like this. We have Jamar Taylor and we have Will Davis. They're talented. They've got some things they need to work on. 
But if you look at kind of like the scheme of things, Brent Grimes would be a perfect mentor for like a Jamar Taylor type. Cortland Finnegan would be a perfect mentor for the kind of uh, for kind of like the Will Davis type. So you have two older guys who have two different styles of play. Both of them kind of suit the younger guys we already have on our roster. You know, and that's what I believe. You know, and then it kind of like their their talents as far as like leadership kind of feed into each other. Where you know Brent Grimes will be at the right place at the right time, Cortland Finnegan will just basically shake you out of your mind and make you make mistakes. That's his game. Mm-hmm. So you have those two kinds of personalities. It's the same thing that we did with the with the safety that we signed. We have Don Jones, who made a very good couple of plays for us. We have Michael Johnson, I believe his name is. Mm-hmm. Michael, Tom- is uh, Michael Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, we have Michael Thomas, who basically won the Patriots game for us in those final minutes. So we have talent there, but what we lacked was, you know, and the kind of stuff that we didn't get from Chris Clemens, we'll get from this guy that we signed in the offseason. Yeah, um, and I see, your, I see your point there. And like I said, I was just playing devil's advocate because someone's going to, someone's gonna, you know, could question, you know, why not sign a guy like Carroll, who may be more talented than Finnegan at this point? Just you know, why not sign him instead of Finnegan? If the only reason you're signing Finnegan is just leadership, you know, you don't want to. Mm-hmm. I remember that came up back in 2010 when they were, you know, went through that draft and they they talked about drafting team captains and things like that. And they wanted leaders on the team and so on and so forth. So, um, and I, I noticed it, it said on on the board that you want to talk some about. Um, some offensive line, and there's several questions in the in the, the live thread about offensive line. So let's go there for a few minutes. Um, okay. What my, um, my my theory is this: All right, we've got the new offensive line coach, right? Um, we've got guys that showed some promise last year. You know, everybody's like, we need to get a first round offensive tackle. We need to get this. We need to get that. But, I mean, if you look at our roster, we've got three veterans who have success in the NFL. One of them, not so much in the pass protection, but he was like the fourth in run blocking. So he shows up our run blocking. We don't quite know what we've got with um going on, but I've heard people saying we should draft a center because of that, but we've got Samuda. Um, Samuda? Samuda was no, not, in Minnesota. Not Samuda. Not Samuda. The other guy. Um, Brenner. Brenner. We've got Brenner. We've got, you know, guys that can fill in roles. I don't understand why people are so adamant on drafting these O-linemen early especially when our skill sets are like in the second, third, and fourth round with Petonio. You know, people sit there and say, okay, well, we got to draft this guy. He's the best one on the board. Okay, well, we got to draft this guy because he's the best one on the board. We got to do it in the first round or we're going to miss out. Thing is, is that what people don't really get is that who these guys put on the board 
is not exactly what the teams have on each board. And a lot of the thing is just that they don't sit there and they don't look at scheme. They don't look at things like that. But, you know, as we all know, I've basically decided to step it a little bit. I've been hyping Jordan Matthews all year long. But, you know, my thing is, is, okay, you can go with a guy like uh, I always forget how to say his name. Quan Quanjo. Quanjo. Mm-hmm. We can go for a guy like Quanjo, who's supposedly like a late round one that's falling, but he doesn't fit our system, and his injury is only going to hinder up his speed even more. Same reason why we let Jake Long go. He didn't fit our system, and he was often hurt and wasn't worth the damn money that we paid him. But people are so tied up in these rankings like CBS and Walter Football and everything else not taking into account that, okay, just because he's ranked number one in um, Walter Football or CBS doesn't mean he's ranked number one and number two on our boards. So why I choose, like, just as a hypothetical Jordan Matthews over, say, Mike Evans. Because what we need is a route runner. Mike Evans, he's tall, but he doesn't run routes well. So yeah, you're, it's you're, like... you're hitting that. You're hitting that. Uh, yeah, I, this is a this is a, a very very big topic um, <clears throat> that we could discuss. Um, talking about um, you know players that fit the system, how boards are, are drawn up, and. I want to go into that a little bit because Jason Scott has a, a question there about because this is the deepest O-line draft in years, does that mean we can go after guys later? Does that mean we should double up and get guys early? Um, you know, what is that, how is that actually going to, how is that going to affect, you know, what the draft moves are? First of all, let me let me say that this, is, this draft is deep, and it's not deep across the board. It's deep at certain positions. Um, offensive tackle, it's deep. Wide receiver, it's deep. Um, cornerback, safety, it's pretty deep. Um, if you're looking at uh, weak positions, uh, pass rushers. Um, pass rushers very top heavy. It gets kind of sketchy once you get outside of those, you know, first four or five guys. Uh, then you have um, it's weak at the tight end position. Again, it's very top-heavy. There's about three or four guys up there that are kind of the top elite prospects, and then after that it kind of drops off. Uh, it's, it's The defensive tackle position is pretty good. You're going to get some guys in that third, third and fourth round that will be pretty good players. Uh, it's, it's very weak at the linebacker position, which is why myself and a lot of other people you've seen uh, promote the idea of drafting uh, uh, C.J. Mosley because he's – because he's basically the, the top end middle linebacker prospect, and if they had not have if they had not gone out and offered Dequell Jackson a a contract, it probably wouldn't have, would have been on the radar. But because that was because they did that, and they were saying, "Yeah, we're going to make you the starting middle linebacker," it leads me to believe that that's the position that they're looking at. So, um, so. You know, so it's kind of deep in those positions. It just happens to be deep in some positions that the Dolphins need, which is specifically the offensive line. Now, you read some, and they say that the offensive line, we need to put, you know, have four or five more people added to the team. Um, I, I, I said on 
a couple podcasts ago that I believe that the offensive line uh, that we would sign four guys in free agency, and I still think we'll sign it someone else. Um, but it's it's kind of it, it, the the other side of that coin. You you have people like uh, that, that'll say, all right, here's here's right now. This is I'm I'm going to lay out. This is your starting lineup on the offensive line, and, and I'll, I'll I'll let you guys discuss with me and tell me what where you think needs to be addressed the most if multiple positions. Okay. Left tackle, Brandon Albert. Left guard, Shelly Smith. Um, center, Mike Pouncey. Right guard, Nate Garner. Right tackle, Dallas Thomas. Now, kind of how I've seen it, and you could probably flip-flop Garner and Thomas at the guard tackle position on the right side. But that's kind of what you're looking at right now. So, give them that. And, you know, at the coaches' meetings this week at the NFL uh, owners' meetings, and we'll get to that in a little bit. At the NFL owners' meetings, they, they did the coaches' breakfast. They talked to um, Joe Philbin, and, and uh, I saw a video interview of him, and he, he mentioned, you know, they want Dallas Thomas. They're expecting him to be a starter. So just kind of work on the assumption right now that he's probably going to fit somewhere in a starting lineup. So what do you guys think still needs to be done with the offensive line, given that's the starting lineup right now. And and we're not talking necessarily about depth. I mean, we can go out and, you know, we can sign up Brian McKinney to play right tackle or something. We can add some cheap depth if we need to. But as far as the draft goes and addressing the offensive line, what, given that lineup, what would you do? In all honesty, I'd give up. In all honesty, I'd give up a fourth rounder and – Possibly a player to to the Philadelphia Eagles for Evan Smith. I mean for Evan, uh, whatever his name is, Math. Math. Yeah, I'd give up that in a heartbeat. Why? Because, in all honesty, I think Shelley Smith belongs on the right. I think you get him into the mix. And all of a sudden, you have a two-year cushion for your ability to make. I, I always forget our third-round pick from last year's name, the guard. Dallas Thomas. Dallas Thomas. Yeah, Dallas Thomas. And you give him a two-year cushion. You give him an option to start on the right side, battle up with Nate Garner. But in all honesty, it depends on the other positions that we put in the draft. Like, say, if we get... Um, that tight end from Notre, Notre Dame, um, Nicholas. What's Nicholas. If we get him, then I feel like left tackle isn't as important to kind of like do the backup thing. If we get, say, Matthews, then I feel like right tackle isn't that important because you can put him in the slot, you can switch him around side to side, and he's also a good run blocker. It it, it, it goes so many ways. And I, I just think that you probably need to draft base, based on anything, maybe that guy from Furman would probably be a good pickup 
and he can battle with Dallas Thomas for the right guard position. But other than that, I do not really see why so people why people are so hent up because we don't take into account that we have the upgrade in the O line coaching as well. It's not gonna be the same hoop hop fun and games that we saw with Turner. You know it's probably going to be a lot better standing. Luis, what what would you do with with what we've got at the offensive line right now? Okay, well, um, before I address that, I just want to get something clear. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Is it Jake Matthews or Jordan Matthews? One of those guys is one of the top tackle uh, prospects in the whole draft. Is it Jake Matthews, or am I wrong about Jake, that? Jake Matthews Jake is Matthews. tackle. Jordan Matthews is a receiver. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So, okay, so, um, okay. Now that I got that uh, clear in my head, let me move on to the next thing. I would not give the Philadelphia Eagles anything, and here is why. For the same reasons mentioned before, this is pretty much a ridiculously deep draft at the tackle position and um, the guard position. I think the guard position, I think. So the way I'm seeing it is this. If we give up a draft pick for a guy who he he's up there in age two and he's old, I think he's 32, right? So he probably be the oldest guy on the whole field. Yes, he's 32. Okay, so he would be the oldest lineman on the on the field. This was what his first breakout season so far, and he's had a couple he, of good seasons, I think. Not not necessarily top of the line. Not he's been pretty good for about two or three years. Right, but I'm not willing to give the Eagles a fourth a fourth rounder for that because considering how deep this draft is, we may find a uh, uh, younger. Cheaper, obviously, because the man wants a raise, and I think he's making what five million a year now. Or is that what he wants? He's making somewhere in the five five million a year range, and I believe the situation was he, the Eagles asked him to take a pay cut, and he he refused, and so they said you are welcome to request a trade, or welcome to shop. Yeah, I've noticed that the, that Chip Kelly seems to like trying to shipping out people that don't like where they are at. I don't really want a whole bunch of eagle cast off. Thank you very much. But besides, that's besides the point. If I'm looking at making the offensive line, um, Duke, where do you see Sam Brenner fitting in? Because you mentioned Dallas Thomas, you mentioned Nate Garner, but do you see Brenner as like just the backup center and that's it? Well, Garner stays – he can fight for a starting position, but he can basically play any position aside from left tackle. Um, he can play left guard all the way to right tackle. And in fact, I believe he played right tackle in 2012 and, and did fairly well. Um, uh, aside from the, the last game against the Patriots, I think he struggled and gave up a few sacks in that game. But uh, up to that point, I believe he had played – Fairly reasonable at right tackle, so uh, I think Garner is good pretty much anywhere. But I don't necessarily know that he's going to get the starting spot. Um, ideally, I think you see 
depends how you view Dallas Thomas. I think some look at him and still see a tackle because he did start out a left tackle. And that's and a lot of people, some people will, will view that move. They moved him in from left tackle to left guard because of Antonio Richardson. But even in, in college, you don't necessarily just move a guy, you know, because he's not good. You just move a guy because you have someone better. And that's kind of what happened at Virginia with Brandon Albert and Eugene Monroe. Brandon Albert was left guard because Eugene Monroe was left tackle. So, um, you know, and Brandon Albert's been, you know, a success at right tackle or left tackle. So um, some people may look at Dallas Thomas and still see that he is a tackle. If most most people say that they believe he's more of a guard, I think he's actually going to probably end up starting at the, the left guard spot. I think that's where they're going to start him out and give him the best shot. Um, and, and one thing to remember about him, and a lot of people, you know, considered him basically a waste of a draft pick last year because I think he played, what, two snaps all year. Um, number one, he, was, he had a shoulder injury going into OTAs him first coming into camp, and he just was not full strength when he started playing. They moved him around all over the line. He played everything from left tackle to right tackle, both guard positions. He played everything but center during preseason and training camp. I remember reading tweets about it. They would say, oh, now they've got this lineup with uh, Nate Garner at center, Dallas Thomas at right guard, and Pouncey at left guard. They had all kinds of weird stuff going on. I didn't understand. Um, I think he going into it full strength with his full full health, uh, back in his shoulder and everything, and, and from what Joe Hillman said at the, the uh, coach's breakfast this week, he's been one of the hardest working players of this offseason. He's, he said he's, he's barely taking any time off. He's in there working. I think he's the guy that's going to take the left guard spot. I think it's a natural fit for him, which which is good because it gives you basically a that's a pretty good hefty. Uh, left side of the line, counting Pouncey, because I'm, I don't remember Brandon Albert's height, but I believe all of those guys are from Pouncey over would be six five or taller. So that's that's a pretty good size line right there. Um, then, you know, like I said, I think Garner can play either of the spots. I really think they're going to draft a right tackle, and I, I don't know where. Um, I've seen a lot of people, and there was some, some talk on Twitter this week from a couple of different people about the idea of moving a guy like, say, Zach Martin from left tackle to right tackle. Uh, and they're, no. these people are advocating taking a right tackle, uh, taking a right tackle, a guy who's played right tackle, for example, like a Juwan James or a Morgan Moses, someone who has experience on that side. So I'm kind of in that camp personally. I don't know. I think Morgan... Uh, Morgan Moses will probably rise up draft boards, and he may not be available in the second round. But if Juwan Jones is there, I have no problem taking him in the second round. I think he'll be an excellent right tackle. Um, and then, to me, right guard is kind of just that position. So you've, you've got guys like Brenner, Garner, um, you know, those guys just let them battle it out. I, I wouldn't necessarily take another pick. And I'm kind of with you, Luis, on, on the Evan Mathis deal. I would love to have him on the team. At, to me, the highest I would give up is a fifth-round pick. Uh, because really, at that point, a fifth-round pick is not much uh, for a guy of that caliber. Yeah, he's a little older, but you're not getting someone that's playing that well 
right now with the fifth round pick. So, you know, it just depends. So, um, that's so kind of how. Go ahead. Uh, I'll, you go ahead. No, I was I was gonna ask. So basically, you attribute the fact that Brenner started over Thomas simply because Thomas was not at full strength. That if he had been, then Brenner would not have gotten that opportunity. Well, I think what happened there, from what I I remember, was they were kind of cross training Thomas to play right guard and right tackle last year, and then I believe it was there was some injuries somewhere. And he stayed at tackle exclusively. So I believe that's kind of what happened with him. I don't think it was just they thought Brenner was better. It was that Brenner had practiced the guard spot and had stayed at the guard spot where Thomas was kind of wedged into that that tackle spot. Because I remember on the plays that he came in, it was goal line plays, and he played tackle. He did not go inside. He was playing out. He was the eligible tackle uh, off the right side, so um, I think that's kind of what they were doing. Listening to Joe Fieldman this week talk about it, he says they basically want to find him a spot and let him get comfortable there. And if you go back and look at his tape from basically his college tapes all he has, then you're going to see a guy who's probably more comfortable on the left side and at the left guard position. So, and you know. It's kind of like what happened last year in that Patriots win where, uh, you know, McKinney was – they were they were rushing up the middle. McKinney, you know, they mentioned how he, he told Sam Brenner's, like, look, the, the way you're setting up, the way you're lining up, they're, they're able to stunt and get around you, and he corrected him. You know, that, that's what Brandon Albert is there He's gonna he's gonna be the veteran presence on the left side, so you can take a guy who's inexperienced like Dallas Thomas, put him at the left guard spot. Now, the left guard is a guy who's gonna pull a lot, so it depends on his athleticism. I believe he's got the athleticism to do it, but that'll be the key part there because if they don't think he's athletic enough, then that's what they're gonna look for is a guy who can get out and pull. And that was just not one of Ricky Incognito's strong suits when he was when he was here. So, um. Incognito pushed, not pulled. Yeah, he, he was <laughs> definitely a straight-ahead guy. Um, not someone that that uh, you wanted to get out there and, and try to pull a lot. So, um, Dolphin fan for life, we thank you for calling in tonight. I hope we talked about everything. And uh, I know, like I said, I know you're a big fan of Jordan Matthews. So, if uh, I, don't, I know last year we did a a uh, a video. Uh, Insider TV episode during the draft. So if we draft him, we'll be sure to give you a call up and, and get your reaction. So, uh, but thanks right. for calling in. Mm-hmm. And uh, so with that, let's um, let's go into a little bit of what uh, go into a little bit of the, the owners' meetings, and that came up this week. Um, they met in Orlando, did the normal thing. Uh, they went over some rule changes. So there have been a couple of rule changes. Um, some rules that were rejected were use of instant replay for uh, everything. Um, there was a couple things pushed back on the table that they're going to review later. The One of the rules that got rejected was uh, pushing the kickoff to the 40-yard line, uh, which would pretty much nullify the need to even have a kick returner. Um, the couple of rules that passed... 
Um, the they are raising, they are adding five feet of goalposts to the uprights. Uh, so to help with the, you know, kickers kicking to over the post and can't tell, they're adding five feet to each side of the post. And also, no dunking allowed on uh, the goalpost. I guess I'll start calling it the Jimmy Graham rule. Um, he, he scored a touchdown, dunked the ball over the goalpost, and and, uh, and and broke it. And so they uh, so they've outlawed that now. The NFL's become the no fun league again. I saw that that response a lot on Twitter. Um, the there was another rule, and I looked it up, and I'm not too familiar with it. Maybe you two guys are uh, the Navarro Bowman, Bowman rule, which has something to do with um, being able to review a play that it was was at one point not reviewable. Um, it was on a fumble play, and I can't remember exactly what happened, but apparently he he recovered a fumble, but it could not be reviewed. So now that play will be reviewed. Um, I think the it either passed or was pushed off into a later date. The ability for officials to um, to uh, contact the officiating center in New York, the headquarters, and get help on on replays, so that it's not just the, the decision is not just made there in the stadium. It can be made or assisted with uh, someone uh, at the headquarters. I can't remember the guy's name who was overall of it. Um, but, um, but yeah, they can call up there for that. And that's the only rules that I that I know of, and I'm sure there were some others that I'm missing. Oh, yeah, there's one more. Um, the They are doing away with not necessarily cut blocking, but you have to engage a defender. You have to face them up now. You can't – basically you can't cut block a defender from the side anymore. Uh, you have to hit him from the front. Uh, so I I think if I read that on Twitter right. So, um, what do you think of those rules? Um, anything that you saw passed that thought was stupid? Anything that you thought didn't pass that should have passed? Okay, well, um, let me just ask something real quick. The upright thing was Belichick's idea, right? Yes. Okay, just pointing that out. Let, and uh, think, actually, he, he also... He also proposed the rule, or the Patriots proposed the rule to make everything reviewable, and that got shot down. Oh, that's okay. Well, so okay. He was one for one, at least. Uh, at least he didn't get everything he wanted. <laughs> and well, when Belichick says, let's do this, it's because he has a plan. Yeah, and I remember several years ago when everything was reviewable. Um, Basically, just any play that they thought they wanted to review, they could just review. I remember those days. And then I remember when the instant replay went away, and that kind of stunk. And, and, and I kind of like the way it is now. I think it's good now. I like the instant replay, the automatic replay after after two-minute warnings on scoring plays and on turnover plays. I think, that's, I think that's good. I don't think it slows the game down that much. I mean, seriously, how many Dolphins games did we watch this year where you, you looked – you you looked at the screen, looked down at your you know played the nachos or whatever, looked at and it was already in the second quarter. I mean, just they were it seemed like they were just so fast. Um, so you know, watching the Dolphins for a few minutes longer is not going to hurt my feelings any, even if it's just you know not actual playtime, just bedtime. Um, so I'm I'm cool with that. But um, yeah, so go ahead. 
Well, I'm looking at the um, the summary that Kevin put up on the site, and there's a lot of other stuff like the uh, the no OT preseason that was tangled, the line of scrimmage being moved. The line of scrimmage um, extra point kick is going to be experimented with in the first two weeks of preseason, correct? Mm-hmm. It, yes. Okay. Well, I'm just trying to figure out why would you just, why would you experiment with something like that? Just it just make the decision. Do you want it to be longer or not? I think they were wanting to make it more difficult, and so I think the original thing was to move it back and make it like a it was going to be like a 47 yard field goal attempt for an extra point. Um, however, anything if you go for it for a two point conversion, you go back to the the little hash mark that they have set up for that. Um, I'm personally the camp. Just do away with the extra point and make touchdowns worth seven points. Uh, just whenever you score, it's an automatic seven. I could do away with the, that whole extra point thing um, for a number of reasons. Number one, I went back the other night and watched the Patriots game and uh, watched that when the Dolphins scored that final touchdown, and that extra point was so crucial because it made the Patriots have to score a touchdown. And even watching it, knowing how it ended, it still had that little, you know, nervousness in your stomach. That if he misses this, this could be bad news. So yeah, just do away with the extra point. But sorry to inter- interrupt again. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, uh, you ready to have your mind blown, Duke? The, Go ahead. Do you realize? Do you realize that by agreeing with the extra point removal, that you are actually in agreement with Mr. Skip Bayless? I I don't watch him, so I did not know that. Uh, <laughs> um, but to, in my defense, I'm sure I'm not the only other person, or he's not the only other person that would agree with that stance. So I will say whoever else is whoever is a lot better than he is that agrees with me. I will take this. <laughs> uh, okay, let me pull this uh, thing back up. All right, the uh, the contact the official command center to the field to booth communication relay. Right, so basically it's going to be a hybrid of the hockey rules where the people in the booth decide whether it was yes or no. But I don't understand how that helps too much because I'm looking at it like this. If they're going to look at the replay under the camera anyway, don't they have more than one angle to work with under that camera? Um, I think they get... All of the television camera angles that that fans can see on the broadcast. I don't think right. they have any special angles. Um, right. The only thing that I can think of that this helps in terms of the decision making process is number one, it can take well, two things. It, it can take the decision out of the hands of the out of the hands of the official on the field. And number two, if there is one of those weird you know, crazy tuck rule deals where there's an obscure rule that, you know, and let's face it, you know, these these guys are human and, and they will make mistakes, that someone in the officiate, someone back in headquarters can say, well, you know, based on rule books such and such and such and such, this is how you have to make this call. So it helps in that regard. I, I You know, I don't know that it's going to be used a great deal, um, if, if it is used. I think most of the time the, the officials get it right on the field. And there was some there was some bad calls this year on, on different things. Um, and, you know, but I think for the most part when, when the, the officials, you know, went under the hood, they got things right. 
uh, I, I don't, I, I can't recall a, a time, at least from the Dolphins' perspective, that there was a that there was a review that we thought, oh yeah, we've got this, and it went, you know, didn't go the way we expected it to go, or whatever. So, you know, that's I, about I the only. Yeah, that's about the only thing Philbin did right was he made a challenge. He pretty much got it right. Yeah, and like I said, I I can't recall a time, at least for the Dolphins, where there was one that was that the, the review was botched up by the officials. So I, you know, I, I just don't know. This it's, it's an extra asset, and it can't really hurt in my opinion. But I just don't see it being uh, used a lot. I would hope not because I don't want the game to slow down any more than it already has because. It, if they're going to see all the angles that they're going to need anyway, I don't understand the the I don't understand why it makes any sense to just call these people in New York just for even longer periods of time. If they can see everything anyway, why can't they make their own decisions? They're grown men. Get the job done. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm there can be a lot of uh, a lot of stuff going on there. Um, and to uh, oh, you know, a lot of people are getting all ended up for about the dunking rule. I, you know, that, that's neither here nor there to me. Uh, I, I don't see anyone on the Dolphins going up and doing it anyway. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that was, uh, you know, not unless we draft one of those big receivers this year, but uh, or big tight ends. So I, I didn't care about that. I think the upright rule was pretty good. Uh, add some extra, just a few extra feet to the upright so that they can. Make sure if a ball goes over, um, because I mean that you know that can be critical in a playoff game or something, and that is a you know that is, becomes a judgment call to the to the official that's looking up under underneath the goalpost. I mean, he sees the ball go over, and if it went directly over the goalpost, how does he call that? You know, he he's trying to make a split second seizing seizing uh, changing call. You know, for something he saw that was several, you know, several feet over his head. So I think he's good with. I think that rule is pretty good. I, I like that one. Um, and like I said, I don't know about the the, the Navarro Bowman Navarro Bowman rule. All the I read about it a little bit today, very briefly. So, um, and I do yeah. think the cut blocking rule is going to help. Um, it's a you know, there's all these rules helping out offensive players. You know, can't hit a guy going across the middle or, you know, all the stuff. You know, can't blow him up like he used to. And now, you know, the defenders were kind of, in a sense, they were in a defenseless position with their knees and, and people getting, you know, getting rolled up on things like that. So I think that uh, I think that that's going to help. It's going to curb some injuries from the defensive side. So that, that's good for them. Well, they um, are – well, yeah. Oh, go ahead. They already had a um, rule that helped the defense out because uh, – the uh, whole running back's not allowed to leave with the helmet thing. So yeah, the, the and, defense is getting their their help. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't – I didn't see a lot of that this year. And I, I don't know that that was ever a big, you know – you didn't see the, the Earl Campbell, you know, headbutt a guy and knock him back kind of stuff anymore. I think most players don't do that. Um, of course, like I said, I, we watched the Dolphins and watched you know guys just run into a pile of bodies and fall down. So it wasn't fall down. exactly like we were watching. You know, they could have led with their helmet for all we know. It, they just bounced back off and fell down. So, um, yeah. So I'm I'm hoping it's no Sean Marino deal. 
means the end of Daniel Thomas. And I, you know, I, I, I kept as much hope alive for Daniel Thomas as I could. I mean, I, I watched that Pittsburgh game again the other night and watched those, that big run he had and some of those plays he made. Because, you know, Lamar Miller went out with an injury that game. He had a concussion, so it was Daniel Thomas or bust. And he had like yeah, a we career wondered, game. Who's that guy running across the field? Oh, that's yeah, Thomas. Yeah, I mean, he, he kept to the left side on that big run and cut back across. And honestly, I don't think that happens if there wasn't snow on the field. But, uh, I mean, we just held out hope. I mean, he had, he had his moments. He just never – he it's never consistent. So, I'm hoping that uh, Marino can can can, uh, can help out with that. And that actually is a question from a beginning of the, uh, of the thread uh, – with um, MV FinFan asked about double down with running back in the draft. I think we get a running back in the draft, just not not very early. It's not going to be a first, second. I think we go fourth to fifth round range, looking for a guy, possibly a. Uh, there's two options here. I don't I don't see anyone on the team at this point that's that's a kind of a shifty back that is you know better at receiving than running kind of thing. They may look for a guy like that. Or a you know a big bruising type back. Uh, it's the big you know, giant beast of a dude that will run over guys. So they may look for that. I think they will get an, another running back in the draft just a little later now. Um, what what but, effects on uh, Storm Johnson? Um, you would make me look that up. I don't really know. Um, I don't necessarily know that he's a bigger back. But let me see. I've got a. Uh, I've got my. My cheat sheet pulled up here. Um, and for, for anyone that knows or cares, I use the CBSSports.com big board. Uh, I, I just like their board better than a lot of other boards. Um, where is he at? He is six foot 209. So not exactly a huge back, but pretty good size guy. Um, yeah, there's there's a few big guys in there like um, Andre Williams from, from Boston College, five eleven, two thirty, uh, stuff like that. So, um, one of the other things that came up with the owners meeting this week was um, they did talk a lot about, um, you know, of course the Jonathan Martin mess, uh, and uh, I believe Sylvan got up and they basically they discussed sportsmanship. And uh, he got up and talked about his experience there. One of the things that came from it, though, from what I've read from some of the from some of the uh, beat writers and, and stuff, is that Joe Philbin came across differently than he has in the past. He seemed a little more. Uh, I think Armando said he was more humbled, or thought he had been humbled. Um, they said uh, <clears throat> some of the others said he was very very open, uh, very light. Um, was joking around with them, not the same kind of uptight, you know, stiff as a board guy that we've we've come to kind of expect. He was just a little more kind of down to earth now. Uh, you know, that's something I hope kind of carries over into um, into into the coaching room. That maybe he'll kind of loosen up a little bit, and and uh, these players will kind of. You know, open up to him a little bit, start start buying into what he's selling. So that that, that was part of the biggest reason. 
was one of the biggest reasons we had the issue to begin with because Philbin was like he was out of there. He wasn't even part of the locker room, or at least that's what we heard. Do you yeah. think that if Philbin had been there more often, like say Jim Harbaugh or somebody like that, that this issue would have happened? Well, I'm on. I'm kind of in that. Um, I'm kind of in the boat of that. This wasn't a unique situation to the Dolphins locker room. No, of course not. That happens everywhere. But and so and it, we discussed on one one of the Fin TV episodes when Reggie came on the show, and you know I, you know he's obviously played in uh, in the league, and he he uh, he he said you know stuff like that the things that were said were not uncommon to uh, not uncommon to the. Uh, his locker room. So, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think, I think, uh, I, I think that um, this the situation would have happened because I, I think Martin would still, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to put it all on Jonathan Martin, even though I'm not a fan of his. I don't want to put it all on him. I think it was a, I think it was a mix of Martin being playing a tough position and struggling really bad at that position. And then the locker room environment, and he just snapped, and he I don't think he handled it the right way. I think he could have gone to Philbin. I think he could have gone to someone. I still think he could have stood up for himself a little bit. Would he have done that plan for San Francisco as a backup? Maybe not. Maybe the pressure wouldn't have been on him so much. But I do think it's possible that um, – I do think it's possible that something like this could have happened simply because of the, the particular individuals involved. I don't think, I mean, incognito is kind of a, you know, a big, big goober anyway with some of the stuff he's done, but I don't think he's necessarily went over the top. And I didn't read the Welsh report. I don't have time for that. So, you know, but uh, yeah, I believe that's what happened. I'm sorry? No, that was my mentality was because I don't, as much as I would love to say it was all Martin and it was all a big conspiracy, that's not realistic. I know that Incognito was a big part of it, and apparently so was John Jerry and Mike Pouncey, which is why mm-hmm. Pouncey's under in trouble anyway. But you would have to imagine that if Philbin had been there more, Incognito couldn't get away with a lot of the stuff that he did get away with. Because if Philbin had been there, would Incognito have still been trashing Martin the way he was? And Pouncey and Jerry too? That's, I mean, again, it it goes back. I mean, what what if Philbin you know, has been a part of other locker rooms and seen that kind of behavior? He may not have recognized what was going on with with Mark. And I think that's the key part of it is, was it really that they were just picking on him, or was it just that this was typical, you know, just a bunch of, you know, guys being crude. Talking to someone and and him just not being able to handle it. I, I don't I don't I don't know how that goes. But right now we have another caller on the line. Um, his name is Marty. Marty, how are you? Uh, hello, Marty. How are you? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. 
What's on your mind tonight? Well, one thing I'd like to do, uh, I'd like to first call in and say thanks for letting me be on the show. Secondly, I would like to um, ask everyone, why is everyone so hard on uh, filming? I feel like this is uh, his make or break it year, but the one thing is, is he was under the Ireland, Ireland regime there at one time. And uh, everybody knew that they had the controversy between them two. Now that he's not under that regime and he's under the Hickey regime, you know, why not give him a break? Why not let's let's see what this man's got? I mean, we're talking about a bunch of professional uh, NFL players. We're, we're not talking college ball players. We're not talking high school. You know, we're talking NFL players, you know, Everybody says, well, he should have been in the midst of the locker room presence and, and all of this stuff. When when you start making this type of money, you you, know, you start giving these guys leeway, and that's what makes a, a good franchise. I promise you Bill Belichick ain't running around, you know, through all all the, you know, little nicks and crannies throughout the locker room in New England, you know, and not no, knowing what's has- going on. I'm sorry. He has no, because he has an extension in most of his players. That's why. Because well, even if Belichick's you know, not there, they're not going to mess around around Brady. Right, but the thing about it is, you know, he has trust in his players, and that was like filming when he got there, and, and he was under that. Now, he had trust in what was already being there, and and being that it just happened to break down because of Martin. You know, it's not as tough as guy as a guy as most other players are. You know, and, and it's just to me, it's you know, we didn't give we didn't give Philman enough credit. I think he's bringing a lot to Miami. He's he's changing the culture there, but but we're not actually you know giving him that chance. Once again, we're talking about NFL players just making millions of dollars. You know, if if we can't allow these guys to sit in the locker room by themselves, uncoached, then, you know, why are we paying them so much money? You know, then, then they don't, you know, they don't need to be getting, they need to go to CFL or, or wherever else. You know, it's just, there's more to me to this than, than anything else, you know, and, and I just, I want to give Philman some credit. I don't think he's getting enough. And and I, I see your point there, and I think this is this this entire subject is going to kind of affect NFL locker rooms now because even a guy like Belichick and, and maybe he's an exception simply because because he's won titles he's who he is but especially a lot of new coaches new guys I mean more like I said from what Reggie told us on that show and having experienced in the NFL locker room he says the locker room is the players' turf. That is their their spot. Coaches might come in there. They might talk to them, whatever else. But what they do in there is basically what their their business. It's not for coaches to patrol. And I know that kind of If you excuse me, I'm sorry. I I mean, but if you get a coach that that don't respect that, then you're going to start having problems in house. To me, I would rather have a coach that respects that and gives these guys the the leeway because if I'm paying you millions of dollars a year, 
right off the bat, I expect you to be at your best. You know, you're an idol. You're you're someone that people look up to. So I don't have to be in there holding your hand, you know, all the time. You know, I, I've 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 played football my whole life. I've coached and stuff, and, and I just you know I I think it. You know, it's, it, it went too far, I think. You know, the offensive line coaches should be the ones that's getting scrutinized. They're more involved with the offense. But, you know, filming, you know, as Ted Wells or whoever done the investigation and all, you know, he ain't he ain't stricken filming. So I think everybody, you know, kind of needs to, needs to leave him alone. Let's give him a chance and see what he can bring to Miami, you know. I mean, yeah, he, we with him. He, we stuck with him, you know, and I like him. I think the issue there now is that because this happened, at least for Miami, he said he's going to become a more visible presence. And I'm hoping what that means is that from what, from what some of the, the, the beat writers were, were saying is that some of the players thought he had too much control over the locker room. And this was before the stuff happened. They thought he was policing it too much. So what you don't, what I'm hoping happens is in terms of the locker room stuff. If Philbin makes it understood to every player there that if they have a problem, if there's something going on that they don't like, or they don't think that they can handle by themselves, that they can come to him directly and let him know. I'm hoping that's what happens. I hope he doesn't go in there and it starts, you know, uh, we're going to, you know, Make the players start having hall passes or whatever to. I don't want it to be like that because the players won't respect that, and he will lose the locker room pass, like you were saying. I agree with that, but I do think he, you know, from what I've read, from people saying about the report, was that the report made it look like he was he didn't know what was going on, so he's innocent of things, but he's also kind of oblivious to everything going on with his own players. I think it means that he's just going to kind of take charge now and say, listen. You know, I'm the coach. You have, if you have an issue, you let me know. We're not going to let this get out of hand again. And I think that's part. Of, you know, you bring in a guy like Brandon Albert. You bring in guys like Finnegan, who are who are known leaders. That right. you know, they're going to they're not going to let stuff like that happen in the locker room. I think Tannehill is going to step up now and do that. And I think you know, there, there are players in there that can be leaders on, on certain things. And plus, like I said, you know, they they still view Mike Pouncey as a guy who can be a leader. And from what, if you listen to some of the stuff that they said at the owners' meetings, with, you know, what Stephen Ross and what uh, uh, some of those guys were saying about him, is basically they're saying, yeah, he 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 just kind of got caught up in the moment. He should have known better. And basically, what it translates down to, he's a very good player. And you know, if he was not as good as what he was, he'd probably be cut too. So, um, can but, I can I know, chime in just a minute here? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I understand all that, but you have to remember that no matter what, the coach does have a responsibility to be aware of what is going on. Even if he's not in there, like, holding people's hands and policing everything, like he said, um, he's got to know that something is going on. Like, I understand Martin didn't tell him, but you would have to imagine that somebody in the locker room. Because remember, Can I ask you Martin this question? Martin, hmm? Can I ask you just one question? If 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 you're talking about a good coach, a really good coach, and we can put the best in line, how can a good coach look at film 
look at each individual players from week to week and be ready for the next game because this was happening during week to week, during the games, during the season. How could a coach be that involved with being a coach and then trying to hold your hand at the same time? Do you follow what I'm saying? It would. It's just there's not enough hours in the day for a good coach to do that. He's either going to have to have a game plan for next week or either he's going to have to sit in. You understand what I'm saying in the locker room? And yeah, I, I get what you're saying, yeah. but I didn't. I said that he didn't have to hold his hand. I was saying be aware of what was going on. If somebody's getting harassed as hard as Martin said he was. He should have at least known something was happening. Do you think anything happens in the locker room that Belichick doesn't somehow know about? Well, I'll put it to you like this. I mean, in the case in the case that we're talking about with this, in my perspective, we're looking at you know I'm from South Carolina. I, you know, we're we're talking Florida from South Carolina, uh, from Stanford. You know, we're looking at a kid that was just raised up in a totally different environment than most people. This kid was always raised up with the luxury of everything. And when he got on the front line of an NFL team, which is where the dirt and the grind begins, this is where the most physicalest part of a football team starts is on that offensive and defensive line. You've got to be tough mentally, physically, and and, and just very talented. And if you're not, you're not going to be a very successful NFL player. And we're going to see how Martin goes from here on out. And I guarantee you, from what I've seen over the years of 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 a of a uh, NFL player or a player in general, he's not going to be a very good player. Not unless he gets some kind of counseling to be able to, because just being on that front line is physical and mental uh, uh, toughness in itself. Not just along with a little bit of trash talking and the gut pulling, the hair pulling and everything else when you're underneath the bottom of a pile. You know, yeah, and I think what what really stood out to me about the entire Martin situation was the fact that he came off it came off with this victim mentality. And and when when I first read stuff happened, and I remember arguing with people on the site, and it wasn't even Dolphins fans; it was other fans from other from other sites. We're talking about oh, he's a victim. He's been bullied and all the stuff. And, and the only image that came to my mind was from Hard Knocks when. He got into a fight with Randy Starks in practice. And I'm thinking, if this guy was as timid as he's being made out to be, you don't pick a fight with a guy like Randy Starks. You just don't. That doesn't make any sense to me. So it seems to me that there was just there was a whole lot of stuff going on with this whole situation. And I agree that Philbin should have known more. He should have known what was going on in that locker room. But a part of me wants to say, you know, there was some stuff that probably – most people now, you know, I don't know what all Jim Turner did and what those guys did and, and their involvement, but I believe that there was, you know, at some point, Philbin thought what was going on in the locker room, even if he didn't necessarily approve of it, because, you know, we remember from Hard Knocks when they did the, 
gave Josh Samuda the the uh, the haircut, you know. That he you saw him up there, and everybody was laughing. He just kind of sit there and shook his head, like, you know, he's like, I, I don't really care for this. But at the same right. time, he, he you know he didn't he didn't. You know, he knew about this stuff, but he he probably assumed this is stuff that goes on. But see, I'm once not going again, to myself. once again, he's not, and I don't mean to classify him in this because he is normal, but he's abnormal. He's not from the society of hard knocks of what most football players are. He's from a higher society of where, in my opinion, is uh you know uh not saying it is bad, but just saying that you know life was easier for him, where most offensive linemen and and most people in the life wasn't easy man and 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 these guys take that mentality to work and they take it out on the next on the on the player opposite of them, and at the end of the day they shake each other's hand and say good game and they go on about it. But during the game, you know, they're taking out all everything. You know what I'm trying to get at here? And it's just you've got to be a hard person to be able to do that. And Jonathan yeah. Martin wasn't and is not yeah, that type of have, person. You've got to be mentally tough to to basically work at a job where you beat people up for a living. Exactly. You know? And I want to uh, – I want to – I want to kind of I want to answer your question uh, real quick about about Joe Philbin and get away from the kind of the Martin stuff because you know okay. I'm, I'm 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 with Brandon Albert on this that's in the past so we're done with that that's those right. guys are gone not coming back so I think as far as the Philbin fans not giving you know he's going to get it this year but you know you know how about us Dolphins fans are we got to win, and if we don't win, we've got to find somebody to blame it on. He's, he, you know, it's going to be Tannehill, it's going to be Philbin, and, you know, it, it's going to go that way. So I think in order for him to kind of win over the fans, he's just going to have to win. And uh, that's just kind of the bottom line on that. Um, Can I bring up I mean, one more point? Absolutely. Okay. Um, about giving Philbin credit because um, – I understand what you're trying to say, but there's a parallel to the Philbin situation now. That's Rex Ryan. Rex Ryan, up until last year, had been under Mike Tannenbaum. He and Mike Tannenbaum has uh, gotten to uh, tussles every now and then about who's the guy, who's the player, I want this guy, no, you can't have him, which sounds very similar to what Ireland and Philbin did. And then he wound up under John Idzig. I didn't hear anybody giving Rex Ryan a break, and that includes us Dolphin fans, as far as I know. So why are we – is it just because we're Dolphin fans that we're saying that, well, Philbin deserves another shot because now he's under Hickey? Because Rex Ryan, for the most part, did not get that benefit of the doubt. Uh, Philbin's yeah, only, I, only, only been in there one year, and Rex Ryan is a douche. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he, he likes foot fetish. I mean, that explains it there. <laughs> Oh my well, Marty, uh, Marty, we thank you for calling in the show and call back again. Enjoy having you. Thank you. And you're welcome. And with that, we bring in a uh, one of our fellow co-hosts, Keith. Welcome to the show. Oh, Prodigal Son has returned. 
don't worry, I'm not I'm not coming for your job. I was I already had a coup thrown on me to get me out of this thing, so don't worry. I'll only arrive for a little while. Oh, oh that's fine. We've we've been going strong for about two hours now, a little over almost two hours. So uh yeah, we've covered a uh a variety of topics. Haven't even got to the stadium upgrades yet. Um so yeah, Stephen Ross is trying to uh get some stadium upgrades so that Miami can once again be in the running for Super Bowls. Get Super Bowls down there and uh you know, I don't know. I don't I don't live in Miami. I don't I I can't go to games down there, so I don't know what that experience is like. I've been to Florida a few times, and I'm not a fan of heat and humidity, so I can tell you that I would probably not enjoy sitting there in a September game in Sun Life Stadium, or excuse me, Joe Robbie Stadium. But Even a December game is hot, Duke. Do what? Even a December game is hot down here. Yeah, and, you know, I could probably deal with – if I would deal with it in December, I just don't know about the – about September, so or those early games. But um, dude, that the hottest yeah, I've ever that I can ever remember being at a sporting event was a January playoff game in Miami. So it doesn't matter when it is. Was that the Cleveland Browns game? The Marino comeback over the Browns. Right. The um. Yeah, I, I don't know what all upgrades he's wanting to to put on there. I know one of the deals that came up I think last year, year before last they were talking about was putting on uh and I can't think of not a roof but kind of like covers. A canopy. Can- canopy, yes, thank you. Uh over the over the of at least over the stands. Um I'm not sure what all other upgrades he's planning on making. Um, do any of you know what those were proposed. Um, it's a, an HD lighting or HD approved lighting is, I think, one of the, the big ticket items on there. Uh, they're moving the they've moved the seats inward toward the field. That, that's a big one too. Yeah. Uh, I I know that I know the NFL's original bitch with uh, with uh, Joe Robbie Stadium was the fact that the, the lighting was um, really past due in terms of uh, of an upgrade and wasn't compatible with uh, HD format. So <clears throat> I know that's how it started, and then it pretty much turned into the fact that we needed to pretty much put a canopy on the place. And uh, and while you're at it, you might as well. I mean, the fact that the fans are so far away from the, the field of play is unbelievable. Anyone I've ever watched a Dolphins game with uh, who happens to not be a Dolphins fan, that's really one of the first things they, they comment on. If the Dolphins are playing at home, they always say why, or they always ask why is that team? Why are this team's fans so far away from the field? You know, so yeah, and you notice that from from the television is is just very, yeah, it seems very very far away, not not close or intimate like you you'd want it to be. Um, that's about all I have for the stadium upgrades. So I don't really know a whole lot more than that. We are. Now that free agency has kind of run its course, we have moved into uh, draft mode, and we've already kind of covered some of the the topics, uh, at least in terms of draft topics tonight, talking about um, the offensive line. Before we do that, we have another caller. Uh, see, Jim, 
Jim wants to talk about some dolphin stuff. Jim, how's it going? Hello, Jim. Not again. Mm-hmm. Are you there, Jim? I can't hear anything. It's not on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, maybe he'll chime in here in a little bit. We will uh, we will uh, continue to wait because it looks like he's still on the line, so James will get that figured out. Uh, but there are – this is a fairly big trap, as we've discussed, with different things, and there are uh, there are a lot of positions that Miami could, could really address. And one question I was thinking of today when I was thinking about the show is what player do you think is really a – a dark horse candidate for Miami to draft at 19. Uh, I mean, a tight end. A tight end? I guess. That's all I can think of. Dark horse? a lot of a lot of people are, are expecting Eric Ebron to um, to be gone by 19. I I I don't know. I think he may. I think he may still be there at 19. I, I don't have a problem if they pick him at 19. Um, I think any other tight end besides him at 19 would kind of be a, a surprise pick. Um, so, Keith, Eric. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, Keith, who do you have as a surprise pick at nineteen? Um, I would say that. It, well, I, I think we're a, a good candidate to move up in this draft, actually, depending on uh, on who's available and who we value. And but at number nineteen, uh, I I'm gonna we're we're talking about dark horses. Yeah, it's kind of somebody that's not on the radar at this point. I uh, mean, everyone, everyone has been picking Zach Martin. Uh, like you, somebody you definitely would not expect to see coming. Dark yeah, I mean, Denard. Okay, uh, that, yeah, I can, I can see that. I, I, I would say that I, I think Dennis Hickey from his time in Tampa places huge value on the corner position, mainly because both guys, uh, time and time again throughout the years. Uh, failed to address or failed to address that position after that original run of uh, <clears throat> Ronnie Barber and your Brian Kelly and uh, all those guys uh, were were past their prime. That team really struggled to go ahead and and upgrade the perimeter defense. So I think that I, I understand we've got guys waiting in the wings, uh, your Jamar Taylor, Will Davis, and I think those guys are actually going to be pretty good players. But I think that if if Dennis Hickey is really down with the best player available, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Denard, uh, Jason Barrett, maybe even Bradley Roby on that list, depending on, on where he wants to go with that. My personal favorite in terms of corners in this entire draft is Denard. I don't think he'll get to 19. I know some people have an issue with him. I think he's got shut down potential. And even though big time corner or yeah, well technically still the big time, even though they have like eighty teams in there now. I know I think Big Ten might go for him. But, well, that's another thing too. I mean, uh, especially now that they're they're rather bare uh on the perimeter. The Jets are kind of a wild card because they really need to upgrade their receiving group 
Uh, the back end of their defense needs significant work. Uh, Don't forget they, who they the could, head coach is. They can use an offensive lineman. We're, we're not even talking about that douche. Forget about that guy. Uh, well, that makes a difference because he likes the defense, so he may pick the defense. He's not making the pick, though. John Idzik is. And Mr. Mm-hmm. Mr. Catman in there can go ahead and consult. But, I mean, look what they did last year. I mean, they went against type. Who really thought they were going to draft Sheldon Richardson? I didn't. I did not see that pick coming. And, I mean, that would clearly prove not to work out for them. Sheldon Richardson was the defensive rookie of the year. And, I mean, their their defensive line is formidable right now. But the thing you got to keep in mind is they continue to mortgage the, uh, the elephant position uh, in terms of edge rusher. I mean, I, I'm for one, if I'm a Jets fan and I'm looking at guys like Calvin Pace in there, I'm, I'm not excited. So I think that there's a couple of things they could do too. They could move up. I think a guy who would really work out well for them would be someone like Anthony Barr. I don't know if they would make that move, but when you brought up the corner position, that was a good one. I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's something to look at. And uh, they, they could be a candidate. And I've not watched a whole lot of tape of these guys, but I have I've read some stuff. And there was a good article on Roto World. Um, I read through several of them yesterday about um, the different metrics of um, players at various positions. And one of the interesting things is that um, Jason Verrett, to me, the only knock against him is basically his size. I mean, he's, you're looking at another Brent Grimes-sized guy. He's not a big dude. But is that he was very, I mean, he's, he's around the ball a lot, and he, he, what his metric shows, he, you know, he's not a guy that's going to get burned very often on deep passes, and he's pretty much money on short passes uh, in terms of getting past the defense and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, if he's there and they like him, that will not be a surprising, I mean, that I think is a surprising pick, but it will not, you know, blow my mind. Well, he's surprisingly kind of, good against the run. That's the thing. I mean, you look at smaller corners and you assume that they're going to get bullied whenever uh, they have to uh, put on or they have to display their take on abilities. But, I mean, he's surprisingly stout against the run. Uh, I mean, he's – in terms of an open field tackle, he's outstanding. And, I mean, he, you just don't really – it's almost like he's hard to get a hat on if you're talking about teams looking to block. And it, it seems like he, he's tough to really neutralize. So, I mean, that's something to consider. I've seen Verrett uh, projected from, like, the – I don't know. I think the highest I've seen him go is someone having to go into Chicago, which, which should be interesting. But I, I know that he's a popular pick for like the Chargers right now because the Chargers desperately need help at the corner position. But, I mean, he's – I mean, if you can get past the size, I mean, Brent Grimes is no no pituitary giant. and I mean, that guy is outstanding for us. So, I mean, if we're looking to build in that mode, Jason Verrett definitely fits that bill. And um, since you brought it up, you said we're a good candidate to move up um, for whom? Uh, well, I mean, if you're uh, let, you, you you wear the you wear the the silver fox hat for a minute, and <laughs> you, you you tell us who who you think that he would value and would want to move up for, and how far? Uh, I I think that. If Jake Matthews takes a bit of a slide, I think we might be in play for him, personally. I know that some people have him going to Buffalo. I think Buffalo is going to go. I think Buffalo is going to take uh, Mike Evans, personally. 
I think that they can they can find I I don't know if you'd say comparable offensive line talent later, but if they if they're looking to because the, that's all we talked about last year was that team really finding a puncher receiver. And I know they've got guy I mean the uh, Stevie Johnson and Robert Woods they have some decent guys in there. They need a home run guy. And though Mike Evans doesn't have home run type speed, he's the kind of guy where I mean he's going to make things happen downfield. You got a young quarterback back there. Uh, it just makes a lot of sense. So I think at nine, I think they swing for the fences and they go for an Evans. So now you're looking at uh, if, if Matthews can can get out of there, and there's, there's a lot of ifs, but I think that he's the kind of guy where you, you get him, you, you slot him into a right tackle immediately, and he's your future left tackle. But, I mean, for the time being, it's not like you put him at right tackle and you expect him to really take his lumps. You expect him to go in there and really just lay it down. So, yeah, I mean, and if he's... If he's your starting right tackle, you can pretty much just you you can wipe your hands of, of the offensive line positions. You know you're you're set. You know you might find a right guard later in the draft, but I, I think you're you're good to go <laughs> if, you, if you're able to get Matthews. Yeah, you're cooking the gas for sure. Yeah, you've locked that you've locked up both your tackle positions uh, quite well. And like like you said, he has played that position, played it very well. Um, and that also gives versatility if Albert does get hurt again, where you just slide him over to the left side and, you know, no worries. Um, Do we have a caller? I'm sorry? Do we have a caller? Um, let's see. Not at the moment, I don't see one. We had one, but he's not back on the line, I don't think. And uh, is, uh, James, is Jim still there? Yes. Okay. <laughs> that was so eloquent. <laughs> okay, yeah, so, Keith, so Keith, let me that. ask you something. Okay. Um, okay, you want to move up, but who do you see as a potential trade partner? Because I don't want to say I want to move up. I think we're a candidate to move up. I'm, well, we're I'm, a perfectly, I'm perfectly fine standing pat at 19. I mean, it would take – if you're talking about a trade partner, uh, personally – Yeah, that's pretty much my asking. St. Louis at 13. I think they're wheelers and dealers. We've seen it before. I think that they'll look to generate picks. I think that they're ideal. Uh, depending on how the board lays, I mean, uh, I, I'm i trying to think of a, a couple of other teams here. Dallas could, could use it, although Dallas really, if Aaron Donald is there, I don't think he will be. I think Aaron Donald falls no further than number 14 overall. I think they would be uh, a team to consider. Uh, if Donald were to go before the Bears could make their pick, I think the Bears could make that um, that swap. So really, that 13 to 16 region I see as really being if you're if you're into a, a player enough where you feel like you can move up for him, I think that's probably the place to do it. But it really I, depends on how the board falls for a couple of other guys. Have my, I think uh, they, I'm say. Uh, we have Jim on the line. He's been holding for a little while, so let's go ahead and get him on. Uh, Ooh, Jim Duggan. Jim, yeah, Jim. Sorry for the uh, sorry for the wait. We know you've been holding for a little bit. So, uh, how are yeah. you tonight? Pretty good. Um, cold, and we're eventually maybe we'll see uh, fifty this weekend. <laughs> I feel you're. I'm saying how you feel. It's cold here, so. Yeah, well, this has been the coldest winter we've had in the history of uh, upstate New York. <laughs> I've never seen it so many days below zero. Um, with uh, I know you were talking about with um, them moving up. I kind of unless they they go for like the the linebacker there from Alabama, 
Um, I was with Mosley. I think, you know, that's somebody that's, like you guys were talking about, there's there's people that are in the draft that maybe you can't get later by having di- deeper positions like offensive linemen at maybe they could go a second round. But I don't know. I think trading down would be an option to get more picks and more players, don't you think? Especially if we take a receiver. Definitely. Yeah, well, I, I, I did. You know what? I thought about that too. Receiver, um, getting somebody that we can trade down and get, but still having picks to pick up other positions like middle linebacker or offensive line or another running back. But if we have more of those mid-round picks, we might be able to do a little more with that, wouldn't you think? Is one play, In other words, is one player going to change Miami? I mean, I've been a fan ever since um, Greasy to Marino, Blackwood Brothers, I mean, all the way through. And I've I just don't think one player or two players is going to make Miami. No, but I think we're not. I don't think we're bad enough where you're. you're no, no, at, I think we're close. I think we're really yeah, close. I think you're. You're just looking for. You're looking for pop, and I don't mean. I, I know Duke wants to get on this, and uh, it, technically it's his show, so I'm going to give way to him in a second. But I, I think what you're looking for, because I know that. Best player available is almost like a misnomer at this point because it's more well, than at, just the best player available. You're looking for an extra gear at a specific position, particularly one that has killed you, preferably one of importance. So when you, I mean, people hear wide receiver, and because they're coming out of the Ireland, the Ireland uh, medieval era, uh, it's it's a little bit shady to think that you're going to draft a receiver in that position. Oh no. Absolutely not. I think well, right now we've got three receivers, and if one of them goes down like we had last year, now we don't have a guy for the slot. What happens if Hartline goes down? Wallace, are we going to get rid of him? Are we going to keep him? Is I mean, I think he stays because it's too much money, but who do we have to back them up? We throw the, our, well, our fourth receiver out there last year at the, when, when our third goes down, and he plays good here and there, but he also drops balls. I mean, we've got to have somebody that – that we're bringing up the up the line that can step in, be next guy in if something happens. Right now, if we well, lose one or two guys, we're screwed. Well, not only to back them up, but upgrade. Because I mean, the yeah, idea is you want to upgrade. upgrade. We, even if it's a fifth round, is an, is an upgrade. A fifth round pick or a fourth round pick is an upgrade from who we have at the at the third. I mean, at the fourth or fifth. Right. I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about being able to upgrade guys like Mike Wallace. Guys we're paying paying a lot of money to, and we're tied oh, to yeah, that well, guy Mike right Wallace? now because of the speed he brings to the position. The idea is you want to go like if you brought in a guy like Brandon Cooks, and suppose you you traded down a few spots for him. The idea with yeah. bringing in a Brandon Cooks is you're introducing yeah. similar speed to the position with an enhanced skill set. That guy can run routes. He has better hands than Mike Wallace, and he costs a, a minute fraction of what Mike Wallace costs. Well, we also so, I mean, need that, it's that, a little bit of a gamble because, obviously, Brandon no, Cook does not prove him like Wallace is, but that's no, an I idea don't think, he has. No, I don't think that that's a bad idea because right now we're looking at we don't really have a true tight end. Clay did a great job, but he's but he's not true to the position, and we don't have a fullback, which, of course, Clay can jump in there as a fullback. But there's little positions. Like, we need another running back. We need another receiver. We need a couple offensive linemen. Um, next year when Aldrich is ready to go, we're going to need a guy to step in behind him. So do we get a guy now, or do we pay him money next year, or do we move on from him? 
just little things like that. The corner looks good. Safety's kind of reasonable. Quarterback, we probably could still use another guy for the third. You know, the compete for the third quarterback. How long does Moore stick around? Um, do we need to get another running back in there too? You're talking about a lot of little tiny pieces. Miami's real close, and these things help us down the road. I mean, we get that the defense of Jordan. We jump up in the draft. We grab him, but now was he the player that we needed? He can't even crack the starting lineup. Maybe this year he does. But I like the two guys we have in the starting lineup. Yeah, I think I think what it I think moving down is ideal because you do get more picks in a deep draft. Yeah, and when the Sanders have enough talent, you know. Yeah, it just depends on, on who wants to do it, and and I, I've this has been brewing in my mind for for a well, couple do we of days. Get, wait, wait, do we get greedy, or are we looking at a third and a fourth? Are we looking at maybe a solid for a fourth, and we just go down enough that we can still get? I think there was well, a, a tackle from Tennessee that they were saying was real good, had long arms and stuff, but he's got more of a later um, second or a beginning of second to late first. I mean. Something like yeah, that I think there's sense. a uh, – what, what, what I've been kind of thinking about, you know, looking at how New England and looking at how yeah, New England – Yeah, they stock up on picks. They stock up on picks. Well, but looking at how them and Denver have kind of moved this off season, kind of got into some kind of this arms race, trying to just best each other. If there is a player available at 19 – I don't know that Hickey would trade with New England. I don't. I don't know that they would do that within the division. But there's just I don't know. Have this hunch that Denver is going to fall in love with somebody that's not going to be there when they pick, and that will be there at 19, and they're going to call up, and we can probably get a, a first, mm-hmm. definitely a third, maybe a second out of them for them to move up to high. Well, and how about the 49ers? They've got like 14 picks. Yeah, you got you got. There's all kinds of teams that are in that. We are going to win right now mode, and there's going to and be a player, a player there that they need. Team. They're closer than we are, and there's a player that fits what they need. Maybe it's a defensive tackle like the kid from Notre Dame, but there's somebody that they're like, oh, we got to have them. And that yeah, would be think, that would be the that would be them because how long are they going to have Wolford? Yeah, see, I think I think. Denver. That's the reason why they just kind of stick in my mind is because they they've kind of gone all in, in the all in mode. Yeah, they are. They they're banking all of their they're they're banking a lot of stuff on basically the next year to two years. They're saying that our window is the next two years, and then after that, you know, we're going to be, you know, kind of rebuilding, reshuffling, doing some stuff there. So, if there's a guy that at 19, let's say for example, Ebron is there at 19, and they think sure. oh, they've already got Julius Thomas. But they yeah. lost Eric Becker. Uh, you, you know, you don't. Know how and they do him. like the two tight ends. They do like two yeah. tight ends. So let's say they really want him, and they know he's not going to be there when they pick at thirty-one. I could mm-hmm. see them calling up Miami, or even ahead of Miami. But I could see if if Miami's on the clock and they want to trade, I think Denver's the team because they're going to say, all right, there's a guy here that will still help us win right now, and because we're in win now mode, we don't care to give up picks. Now they may want no. to. Back, they may want to keep stuff, you know, keep a, a backstop of picks to, to to build these players. But it seems like to me that they're not concerned with adding talent right now to the draft. They're trying to no. win right now, and they're going to worry about it later. So if I'm Miami, I'm kind of I'm kind of hoping that they start calling me. Well, uh, the 49ers are in that same 
the 49ers are in that same thing. I mean, how many they got like 14 picks or whatever they got. They can't possibly they can't possibly get 14 new guys and put them on the team that they have now because the 49ers already did us a favor. What they do? It took Martin. Well, yeah, yeah but we we could we might get a seventh next year. We might not. But I'm saying well, as far as yeah. them having the picks, that even if they took the 14 picks and they drafted the 14 guys, they didn't do any trading or anything, which you know they're trying to move back and put picks for next year, and he's going to play around with that kind of thing. But, you know, doing the old uh, Belichick deal where he has a million picks, keeps trading back, and always has fresh kids to bring in. Well, the but, uh, the the only the only issue I would have with them moving is I don't know that they would necessarily uh, I don't know that they would necessarily move up with Miami. I think they've got the it, ammunition if they want to move higher. And you're talking about let's say you know they've got they've got it would Michael have to be Crabtree. somebody that slid right to that spot where they were like, well, if we give them our first, we give them this and that, we get a we get a bonus pick out of it. I mean, I I, I could I could honestly see them trying to move up for for Mike Evans. Oh, they'll go up higher. Yeah, I mean, they, they will go up really high because they can afford to do that. And they're saying, you know what, we we can add him to the mix and do some things. I mean, they drafted Quentin Patton last year, and, you know, uh, Keith and I watched the tape of him, and, you know, he was a guy that we thought would be a really nice a really nice pick for the Dolphins, and they picked him up. But, I mean, really, they don't have a lot at receiver, and I could see them making that type of move. I don't think Denver quite has the ammunition to move up that far. That's why I've kind of had them in my mind. It's just I think I don't know. There's something about that. It seems like a good a good fit. They might If Miami stayed right where they were, and like you guys were talking about earlier, would you rather see them get a player that's off the wall? You know, your wide receiver, your tight end. Would you rather see them get a player that the draft isn't deep in, which is he's the best value in a way? But maybe that's the best value as far as what we need is somebody like Mosley, the middle linebacker, because obviously we need somebody there. I would be happy with with them getting the linebacker. I, I would be happy. Actually, I would even be happy with a running back, but it's too high now with Marino coming in. Yeah, Unless think, you thought. Uh, I, I think, I mean, there's a number of players they could take there. I personally want to see them take the linebacker. I think that. Because you're not going to get somebody top-notch in the third or fourth rounds because you know if we did something, you know, kind of, you know, not an offensive lineman with the first pick, it's going to have to be the second pick or the third pick to address that tackle. So what are we looking at? Trading down, staying there? Yeah, I mean, I've read, read, you know, Walter Football has – has said that he will use mostly will take a, a draft slide because of injuries. I don't know that that's true. Um, it, He's going to slide. Make, I thought I, Pittsburgh might look at him or somebody along the lines that needs somebody, but I think he's going to slide down to us. I think he, if he's there at 19, I mean, it depends how he, he values him. But if it were me, I'm thinking, you know, and, and I'm kind of in this boat too. I don't necessarily agree that he's a necessarily a game-changing type linebacker like, say, Patrick Willis. But he's definitely an upgrade to middle linebacker position. I think he's I think an upgrade because we don't have anybody. And, and Wheeler, if we could get rid of Wheeler and put Jenkins in his spot, and you brought Mosley in, and then Ellaby goes over to the other spot, it almost kind of, I mean, doesn't that sound like a better 
um, linebacker yeah, I mean, what we had last he, year. He's got the instincts and the ability. He's going to help out in the run game. He's definitely going to be a threat. Um, definitely going to be a threat in the passing game uh, in terms but of I coverage. Like so, yeah, and I think Jenkins eventually will be the replacement for Ellerby. Um Well, he can cover. Wheeler. We don't have yeah, a cover and, linebacker. And so you got to realize that those Wheeler and Ellerby are, you know, in my opinion, this is their year to shine. If they don't, uh, if they don't step it up this year, let's let's assume they stay in the same roles because we don't know what we're going to get. Let's assume they stay in the same roles. They have to step it up, or they're mm-hmm. definitely gone because they're not going to pay for them for two, you know, for. Well, I know they've also talked about moving Mincy to inside linebacker, and I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a good move unless you do think that is. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how he fit as, as a four-three inside guy. I, like I said, I, on that post, I, I put a comment. I said, you know, I, I don't really know how his, how his instincts are. I know he plays well in the run game. I've not actually watched him enough to to know. I I, I do remember watching Philip Wheeler and those guys, especially Wheeler, just be out of place a lot uh, on the field, missing tackles, just thinking, man, what are you doing? Uh, you know, LRB wasn't that bad. Um, but, yeah, I, I just didn't pay attention to Missy that much, so I, I really don't know. I have no answer to that. I, can he play it? I have no idea. But, well, yeah, if Mosley's there, if Mosley's there, I think, and I'm kind of I'm kind of in the the mold of you know you draft the player you want when you think he's going to be there you know you, you know don't sit there and think well this guy's going to be there in the fourth round you know, don't 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 oh, say, no, well, you can't you can't yeah, do that say, I'm going to get Jimmy Graham in the fourth round I'm going to draft John Jerry you know don't, don't pull that on me if, if you think Moses yeah. is the guy you want oh, there at night you know how bad I wanted Graham I was I, the whole thing for that draft I kept going man they got to get Graham they got and I saw. He was going in the middle rounds, like you know, in the middle rounds, it was like, oh, get him, get him, get him, and then, of course we don't. I also <laughs> wanted Rogers that year that he came out too. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so I mean, it just a lot of this depends it's a hit on the player, and and it's who who's going to be who who they value, um, who who they value over others. I mean, in my opinion, the the DeQuell Jackson. Deal was a sign that they want to change it inside. Oh yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. That's why I said if Mosley's there, I I don't see how they couldn't unless they've got it in their mind because of all the stuff with Martin and all the things that have happened and this player, this player, that player, offensive line. They were under so much crud with that that they say we've got to get an offensive lineman. Do you think the owner? Because I saw a thing that the owner said, "Oh, we're going to take a um, an offensive uh, lineman." So did he mean that that was like a set deal that they absolutely have to take a guy in the first round? No, you not really. Do you think they're really do you think they're really tunneled in on that, or or do you think they'll actually look at the big picture what they absolutely need? They have they as far as I'm sorry guys, I just wanted to say something real quick. Um, the the fact that again the tackle position is absolutely so 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 deep that there are still going to be good tackles in even the third round maybe. That's so what I think it's, too. It's, I I'd hate to see them go after that so early when it's so deep and get a position that's not deep that we do need like the linebacker or the tight end. I don't think that's a horrible idea either. I wouldn't even be a, I wouldn't even be all that upset on a corner. That's, but the biggest one, obviously, is the linebacker because if 
Ellerby yeah. moves over to his more to a more natural position, mm-hmm. and Wheeler has Wheeler's not going anywhere. Unfortunately, his cap hit is way too high this year. Maybe next year. But if Jenkins can come in and take Wheeler's spot as just just for playing sake, and Mosley comes in middle linebacker, and Ellerby moves over to the weak side or whatever it's called, I think that's weak side, right? Yeah, weak side and strong side. Okay, yeah, the weak side linebacker. Yeah. So if Ellerby's there, we got Mosley in the middle, and Jenkins manages to beat out Wheeler, which I think is actually very very plausible given the way Wheeler was playing. Then all of a sudden, with Mosley there. Our linebacker core goes from mediocre to at least passable, average, I would think. Anybody well, yeah, else? You don't, you don't know what it's going to do. And with the defensive line moves we've made, we're more quicker, we're younger, we've got veterans at corner, we've got young guys coming behind, we've got a different types of safeties now. That defense becomes very reasonable, and if they could get enough picks for the offense to fix the holes, all of a sudden, Miami could be a playoff team. We were eight and eight. If we could just beat one damn lousy team, believe me, I took it for up here, being near Buffalo without a Buffalo fan. Please, could we do win one goddamn game? One game, please. All right. Well, the one thing that we can all definitely agree on is that Daniel Thomas is going to be gone. So, oh, oh my yeah, God, he's gone. Get him out of he's here. He's gone. I don't. I don't care who they draft. They could draft a cheerleader from Buffalo State for all I care and put her on the team as the, as the, as the third running back because he is such a disappointment. Nobody's going to <laughs> There you go. <laughs> the, 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 only problem, the only problem is now is we don't know that Dolphins fans will have to find someone someone new to hate on. So, uh, Jim, I'm glad you called in. Thanks for calling, and hope you can call back Oh, yeah, time. first time I ever came across your show, so definitely I'll, awesome. I'll start listening now. You awesome. guys are cool. Thank Thanks. you very much. All right, bye-bye. All right, so I think we've just about covered everything that we can cover for the night. Uh, well, there I'm is gonna... one more thing I wanted to bring up, guys. Go ahead. Um, since you guys brought up Daniel Thomas, I was uh, saying on Twitter a little earlier that do you think it's plausible at all that Thomas could be some sort of trade bait for some team, like even for a seventh rounder, like a Martin situation? Oh, I'm sure he's been shocked. Uh, I mean, it would be a they're draft. Not, they're not going to get anything for him. No way. I mean, it would be like it would be kind of like Devon Best was. We we swap picks around with someone, and they take him off our hands for us. But well, that's what I mean. It's like get us a little better or something because it, it, otherwise we're going to wind up keeping Thomas and he's going to go in free agency anyway, so we get nothing out of it at all. All right, so uh, I'm a, I'm a I can't imagine that we get anything for him because there's there's better backs out there that are floating around in free agency as it is. Why would somebody trade for that spare? Yeah. So I'll toss it around the horn now. Uh, Luis, anything that's on your mind that you want to? No, not really. Other than the fact that I would really love to see McKinney finish his career in Miami, that's about it. Keith, what about you? I've been drinking all night, so. (laughs) All right. Honestly, I like the the mostly thing is, is solid. He's a, he's another guy we can move up for, and he'd be the ideal guy to move up for. The The issue I have right now is I don't know where he's going to go because I don't know if this this injury 
concern uh, among uh, several of the teams in front of us. I don't know if that's legit. I don't know if it's something where we can get something where we can get him at 19. I don't know if it's something where we're going to have to trade ahead of the Giants or the Steelers or the Ravens to get him. I really don't know. That's a it's a tough read right now. But I mean, he's he's the prize in my opinion of all the guys available. The the guy who who best matches the the need versus just being a just incredible player at the position. And a guy where, I mean, not a huge amount of upside, just an outstanding prospect, a guy who gets the position, high football IQ, uh, impressive athleticism. I mean, he's not a freak or anything, but you don't need a freak at that position. You need a guy who who reads the game, who digests the game, under, fully understands it, lives it, and he's out there, and controls it ultimately. So, and I think that Mosley is that kind of guy. And, I mean, the best thing is he's not tied to a middle linebacker. I mean, with the kind of scheme we run, we can kick, we can put him on the outside. Uh, I mean, really, I mean, he fits most positions. I think the only area I really have an issue with him at is, is strong linebacker. And even I, I wouldn't even be against giving that a shot. But, I, I mean, I prefer him on the weak side or, or at the mic position. So, I mean, like, just great value. For that guy, and if we're fortunate enough to get a get a to have the chance to to get him at number nineteen, man, you got to pounce on that. I mean, oh, he's yeah. just a he's just a rare prospect that at the position. I mean, and it's funny these people get caught up on elite physical tools. Well, oh, I mean, Luke Keekley didn't have elite physical tools at Boston College, and really, I mean, people knocked him pre-draft because of it. You know, they were worried he wasn't fast enough. You know, he wasn't big enough. He wasn't gonna be able to to contend with uh, uh, tight ends at the next level and so on and so forth. And all we've seen is, I mean, he's dominated. I mean, two years now. I mean, he's faster than people thought. I mean, he's just, I mean, in terms of football acumen and football IQ, I mean, the guy is a knockout. And I think that Mosley, not saying Mosley's Keekly, but I, I think he's in that vein. Yeah, Duke yeah definitely. Apparently, Mosley yeah, was, uh, was graded higher. I'm not sure what draft grade process, but according to Omar, I read on Twitter that he uh, he was actually graded higher than Keekley. Pudding pops. So whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. So okay. Right. Well, uh, my yeah, final thoughts for the night. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, James. Do you have any final thoughts for the night? No, man. I'm just gonna uh, my final. Now. Yeah, my final thought is uh, Mark Sanchez has agreed with the Eagles, so if he stays there. Uh, past this year, we will play Mark Sanchez again next year. One can only hope. And right. uh, with that, uh, Keith, James, thanks for being here as usual. Uh, Luis, appreciate it, man. Thank you for coming on such short notice. Uh, glad to have it you was on. It my was, pleasure. It was thanks for having me. So, uh, everyone out there listening, glad you could uh, hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, we'll try to be back next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Hi, I'm Mark from Marinda Safeway. We offer great savings on groceries, but did you know we also offer savings at the pump? Earn 10 cents off per gallon when you spend $100 at Safeway stores. Enter your phone number or swipe your club card at the register and earn points. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com forward slash reward. This is Mark from Marinda Safeway, and we'll see you soon. 
Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. Why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function.